OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes. We are back. NFL season 2023 has arrived. And every week, every Friday, I'm going to be joined by Rich Rybar to break down the hidden ceiling. Where can we be looking for spots that the field might be overlooking? Where can we be hunting for untapped upside? And with that, welcome to the 2023 DFS season. One week season. I teased it earlier, but we are going to be joined every week by Mr. Lord Reeves, Rich Hrybar. If you are not familiar with him, and I do not think there is anybody listening that is not familiar with Rich, but Rich is the author of the worksheet over on, uh, sorry, over on, um, Jesus, sharp football analysis. It is early morning and I am dealing with a bunch of kids. So excuse my, my, my stuttering there. He is a top 20 in-season ranker. He is a Fantasy Sports Writers Association award winner. Rich, how are we doing today, man? Thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be on. I'm excited because it's week one. I'm excited because it's Friday. There are a lot of things to be be excited about. Uh, this is always kind of the, the fun period. Like we're just waiting for like the Friday final injury reports to kind of put all the pieces together here as we head into lineup building. Yeah, this is like the the jittery time where we have these like these tingles. We, we just want the slate to be here, but we're going to break down some interesting aspects of week one DFS. We're going to be Obviously, we know kind of where the top expected game environments are. We know that we have the top game environment of the week with Miami and the Los Angeles Chargers. We know that secondary to that is kind of this Bengals and Cleveland Browns game. We know that Cooper Cup is out. That game environment started the week with a game total uh, in kind of this magic range of a plus 47 points, uh, but has since been bet down. So beyond that, Kind of give me an idea of what you're kind of trying to pay attention to as far as hunting for some hidden upside this week. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, you're looking at some situations here because week one, we don't really know anything, right? Like, you know, we're, we're trying to build off of some things that like these teams did last year, try to account for some of the personnel changes, try to kind of put all the pieces together from like coaching staffs, players that movement, try to figure out where these teams are. But um also like with week one it's just so unique because the pricing came out six weeks in advance it's the only yeah. time that that happens in season every other time we're just gonna have a week so it's like it's made kind of uh the, this kind of landscape that where we're gonna see just a lot of like kind of flat you know ownership early in the season even guys that are gonna be popular it's gonna be flat just because there's so many plays on the board and one of the things i always talk about people and you could feel free this is our first show together so we get a feel yeah. of each other as like kind of uh gamers and how we approach the game but typically one of the things i always tell people when they're new to dfs is you know if, if they want to max enter or they want to play like people try to account for too many things and that gets them in the most trouble uh you can never account for anything even with 150 max lineups like it, you can't you just can't account for every outcome so you're gonna have to pick these spots you want a tighter core more or less uh even depending on your play but week one is always the toughest because there's almost too many plays on the board and people get yeah. scatterbrained and it gets really hard yeah, that's an interesting theoretical component as well to this kind of game that we're playing. Um, and when I say game that we're playing, there is obviously the game of DFS, which pertains to the game of NFL football. But we're kind of playing this mental game within ourselves when we're building rosters, when we're looking at ownership, and we start to get that feeling of information overload, as you alluded to. Um, how do I account for this? Oh, we'll use an example. Marvin Mims. You mentioned the fact that pricing came out six weeks ago. 
there's obviously some things that change. And week one is interesting and unique in the sense that typically we have a ton of running back value that opens up due to injuries in camp, due to all kinds of changing dynamics of teams, due to that ambiguity of player pricing being released so early. We don't really have that this year. Where the value is kind of coming from in week one this year is like kind of at the wide receiver position, which is interesting. So back to the example of Marvin Mims. We know, well, we think we know that he's going to be playing in 11 personnel. We think that he might have a path to playing in 12 and 21 personnel in heavies. Um, and that depends, obviously, on the status of Jerry Judy coming into the week. It is not going to, it is not going to go untapped this idea that Marvin Mims would carry significant cost considered upside should Jerry Judy miss. We're kind of beyond the, the, the realm of being able to just plug and play some of these players. We have to be thinking about things from a more theoretical mindset, from a more theoretical approach. It's like, yes, if Mar if Jerry Judy is out and Marvin Mims is playing uh, 85, 90% the offensive snaps at bare minimum salary, he is going to have a solid cost considered range of outcomes, median projection, all those things. So when we're talking about hit, searching for ceiling in this idea of hidden upside, we want to be looking at some game environments that could, um, could basically play to a higher potential than the field might be giving credit for. Obviously we're going to be considering ownership and the expectation where we can expect the field to be going. And that's kind of the whole premise of this show is we're going to be looking for those hidden spots. We're not going to be saying, hey, Marvin Mims is 3K and Jerry Judy might miss. Go play him. <laughs> that is kind of known, right? So um, it's kind of the, the backstory of how the show came together. And I am stoked to be jamming it up with, uh, with you, Rich, every single Friday. And again, this show will go live every Friday at 12 Eastern. So if you like what you're hearing, please tune in. Got me from One Week Season, got Rich from Sharp Football Analysis, and we're going to basically be approaching the DFS landscape through analytics, through the conceptuals, and through the theoretics. So with that, Rich, is there anything that you've kind of circled early? Well, I guess we're not early in the week anymore, but is there anything that you've kind of circled as a potential spot through the analytics that we can be attacking this week? Yeah, I, I mean, we can start there if you want. I think, it, you know, Denver and Las Vegas, I think, is a great place to start, right? Yeah. Uh, you look at the kind of unknowns, right? Denver has wholesale changes in terms of bringing Sean Payton in from Nathaniel Hackett. Is Sean Payton going to be the head coach that kind of gets through to Russell Wilson and gets him to kind of calibrate his game? with the current defensive meta that's in the NFL. You know, you think the NFL, it's transitioned to playing less man coverage, more too mm -hmm. high safety stuff. They want you to throw underneath. They want you to have 10, 12 play drives. And Russ is inherently a big game hunter. He's been that his whole career. And you look at last year, you know, he was second in the NFL in deep passing rate. He was only 27th in the NFL in throw rate between the numbers. He was 26th in short throw rate. Like he still wanted to play like Russell Wilson, right? And we've always heard yeah. the narrative, let Russ cook. Well, the Russell Wilson offenses always end up looking like the Russell Wilson offenses. It hasn't been a coordinator thing. So is Sean Payton going to be the guy to get him to adjust? Because this is one of the biggest larger letdown teams in a year ago. And I think because of that, a lot of gamers are going to treat that as like a wait and see approach with the Broncos because in the preseason, they didn't show us anything either. They didn't do anything yeah. special. So I think gamers are going to have one foot out and say like, they, they have to earn our trust back, right? So that's already mm -hmm. an immediate spot to say like, well, I can maybe take advantage of this because I look at it and I say, well, Russ was 
maybe bad last year, but he did have two good games against the Raiders. The Raiders only had Marcus Peters and Marcus Epps. Like that doesn't scare me defensively at all. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at it on the inverse side, like the the Raiders, no one likes Josh McDaniels, but they were second in the NFL in scoring rate per drive. No matter what you say about Josh McDaniels, he is a there's a reason he's gotten a chance that to fail multiple times as a head coach. And it's because the dude can coach yeah. offense. And he puts his position, he puts his offensive players in position to succeed. So we got kind of this marriage where like this game has even it has a couple pieces that people are gonna glom onto if Jerry Judy's out, but we also yeah. have some pieces like Josh Jacobs and Devonta Adams, we know inherently already have high ceilings. And yeah. then we kind of have a position like we're Russell Wilson where people are gonna want to avoid him. And no one's gonna play Jimmy Garoppolo, but hey, uh, but the start of this game I think facilitates a lot of what we're looking for. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of interesting things there. And one is this kind of league-wide transition to too high shell. Um, why is that? It's it's It gives the quarterback a consistent look pre-snap, which is very hard to adjust to. What we've seen to from offensive coordinators over the last season and a half to combat that is the, the, the emphasis on these downfield Z-type wide receivers. And... Last season, we saw Jerry Judy go from a 66% slot snap rate to down just below 40%. And that's a fairly significant um, dent to where he was playing his snap uh, snaps on the field. And if we talk about, and this is one of the reasons why I talk about best ball, I was fairly heavily invested in Marvin Mims early because he brings that element of that Z-type wide receiver, that downfield role to this offense, which would then allow... Jerry Judy to play back in the slot. So when you talk about like how this team is expected to attack this game environment, Jerry Judy is a fairly significant piece to this puzzle this week. If he is out, I would expect we're going to see increased rates of 12 personnel. We're likely going to see the tight ends playing in unison on the field together. Um, and that kind of that shift in, in dynamics is going to affect the upside of this game. That said, if Jerry Judy misses, the field is simply, I guess, likely to just glom off on a, a, a hyped piece from this offense being Marvin Mims. We also have Cor Cortland Sutton. We also have the two tight ends now. We have Adam Trotman and obviously the second-year tight end that we're, we're so excited coming into this season. And then we see the preseason usage, and it's like, oh, my God, Adam Trotman's kind of the every-down type tight end in this offense. But those are pieces that are largely going to be overlooked i think if jerry judy misses how do you how are your feelings towards how you expect sean payton to approach this game revolving kind of around jerry judy yeah and that's i think you hit the nail on that i think you're gonna see like a lot more 12 if judy's out but remember their 12 is still kind of like 11 and a half because yeah Dulcich is not a blocker i mean he's more of that vertical seam shot tight end guy so you do kind of still get a little bit of a both worlds, like, you know, having a little cake and eating it too for Sean Payton. And Dulcich is a guy like, no, the field is not going to play, right? Yeah, but he's it, priced up. And the, But from a tight end perspective, like when you look at this landscape, we don't have Travis Kelsey on the slate. We wouldn't have anyways, even he, he missed. Uh, Darren Waller's not on the slate. Mark Andrews is entering this slate coming off a quad injury. Do the Ravens even need Mark Andrews this week? Like that's in the range of outcomes uh, for him. George Kittle has had multiple injuries uh, entering the preseason. He's only logged limited practices so far this week. So here we are back in the, like the tight end depths, right? Uh, to already start week one. Like what are we doing at tight end? Because it's such a position that has so much variance and a lot of gamers would just say they, because of that, they just say like, well, I'm just going to play the cheapest guy, right? Like people are just going to go to Luke Musgrave. 
They're like, I'm just going to play the cheapest piece. But if we just come in, if we, if we just get a touchdown out of Greg Dulcich, let alone like maybe he has like, you know, 50 yards plus or something like that's already going to be like a unique piece in this game that the field's not going to have at basically like no cost whatsoever. Yeah. And it's very interesting too. You talk about this tight end landscape and it, it's going to be one of the primary decision points on the slate. Cause like you talked about, we're, it's a slate without Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey. And those are two of maybe the five tight ends in the league this year that we can dub as volume tight ends. Two of the five that are projected to see over a hundred targets on the year. Um, with now Mark Andrews being banged up, George Kittle being banged up. And you look at this, how the salary is set up this week. We have four tight ends priced at 5K and higher. That leaves you with just TJ Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard as the players that we expect to be owned from this uh, at, at any meaning, meaningful uh, rate from this top tier in player pricing. So that is a very interesting um, salary allocation and psychological um, decision point for this week one slate. And that's going to shape how people approach putting together a roster as far as salary allocation goes. So it's a very, very interesting discussion. Um, and another thing of that, that discussion that we were having about the Denver Broncos and the tight ends is because pricing came out six weeks ago, six weeks ago, we had this feeling that it was going to be Dulcich that was going to be the primary um, offensive contributor as far as the tight ends go on this team. As such, he's priced up at 4K. When we look at Adam Trotman, he's down at the min price. So how do you think that people are going to be handling that situation in particular this week? Yeah, I don't think we'll see, like I said, I still do still think like it opens up the the avenue for like Dulcich to basically be like a de facto slot wide receiver yeah. uh, in this offense where like Troutman is, he's a guy that's going to be out there for snaps, he's been running routes, but he's never earned targets ever. Like mm -hmm. at, at any point in his career, even being Sean Payton's love child. Uh, remember, they traded the rest of that entire draft to get Adam Troutman. The Saints did. Uh, and then he yeah. trades for him when he gets to over to the, the Broncos. But he, he's just never been a target earner. So, like, if we don't get a touchdown out of Adam Troutman, like, we're probably not getting anything out of him. Uh, whereas Dulcich, like, you can still run into a shot play with Dulcich, right? Like, you still can run into a play where he has, like, a 25-yard reception. Uh, like, there, there's upside still, I think, to him. Whereas Troutman is a fine, like he'd just be a punt, right? He'd literally be yeah. a punt play where you're trying to luck box and do the, the, the TD. Yeah. And that's an interesting, considering all that discussion and the pricing dynamics and the fact that Dulcich is priced up at 4K, this is a guy that brings fairly significant upside. And he's probably, if I had to guess, and I don't look at ownership in my process until Friday evening, Saturday morning, mm -hmm. because I think it's a, a fool's errand to kind of look at it before then. But I would surmise that he's probably going to be in the 2 to 4% ownership range because yeah. he's priced at 4K. So a very, very interesting piece if you're looking to attack this game environment that you can run a skinny stack where you can have a guy like Greg Dulcich brought back with either Josh Jacobs or Devontae Adams, and that is going to garner extremely low combined ownership on this slate. Yeah, I love it. Quick love shout it. to quick shout. I didn't de defy rabbit hole. I think that's how you say it. Yes, we are excited about this pairing as well. And yes, we know Mr. Lord Reeves is a top notch DFS talent. We are stoked to have you again. If you are interested to hear more from Rich, head on over to Sharp Football Analysis. That is where all of his work is housed. And obviously, this is an awesome pairing between the analytics heavy side over at Sharp 
and the theoretical and conceptual side over at One Week Season. So Rich, I'll throw it back to you. What are some other interesting avenues of uh, attack that we can be looking for in week one for some untapped or hidden upside? Yeah, I mean, you look at some of these games here and, uh, you know, I, I'm someone we, like I said, we're, we're feeling each other out to talk about like what kind of, you know, gamers we are. Uh, you know, my my DFS game has kind of manifested like game selection over the years. In the last couple of years, I've really glommed on to these single to five max entries that are uh, very low um uh, uh, uh low uh i'm gonna try to field size for him. yeah 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 low field size and i yeah. tried to basically onslaught games right like we talked about that denver game like being one um because if you get that right you're just gonna have such a huge advantage and it's a way you can actually play chalky plays because you can be different because you're going further than the normal stacking would mm -hmm. larger be and you know i find a lot of success that even winning just a couple weeks a season that way the the, the wins are so big that it, it it covers the whole season so i love Love it from like the game approach right like i'm looking at from like games and like yep. we talked about the denver raiders game being one i'm also looking at this minnesota tampa bay game right uh you know the, the buccaneers are this other team that we just have a large unknown they, yes. they've they've thrown over 700 passes the past two years so the first team in nfl history to throw over 700 passes back-to-back -back years it's obviously not it's obviously not going to happen again this year but like we just don't know with the removal of tom brady uh, we also have a lot of moving parts on the Vikings side. Obviously, they don't have Dalvin Cook. They bring in Jordan Addison. They hire Brian Flores. They got rid of yeah. a lot of older defensive players. They're going to be relying on a lot of young defensive players this year. There was already a defense from a DFS perspective we kind of circled every week last year. Um, mm -hmm. We've got a moderate game total. We've got some pieces in here that I think from an objective stance, obviously everyone's going to play Justin Jefferson, but we have the Minnesota six-point home favorites. That's like typically a spot where we would look at a three down running back and objectively just say like, yeah, we're going to have interest in that guy. So like, does any, where does Alexander Madison land on like this landscape where there's just value everywhere? Do people skip over him uh, because he's a guy that kind of got tore down through the process of the offseason? So does he get overlooked when this would typically be a game spot where he checks all the boxes we're looking for, right? Home favorite indoors, plays three downs, like the matchup's not anything daunting. You know, you look at the Buccaneers, they were not the run defense in years past that they were, you know, prior, especially with Hakeem Hicks off the field, the guy that's not even on the roster anymore. So yeah. th there's a lot of opportunity here, I think, for a lot of players outside of Justin Jefferson to go overlooked. Yeah, and let's let's talk about that game environment real quick because that's a very, very intriguing game environment from um, week one. And I think we are going to see some Vikings ownership. I mean, the field is not going to overlook Justin Jefferson here, yes. but we'll talk about like how that game environment gets to like the game of the week type level. And it is likely coming through the Minnesota Vikings and more specifically Justin Jefferson, but it's how you play around Justin Jefferson that I think is the interesting aspect. And why do I, why can I make the assertion that Justin Jefferson is likely to be the piece that, sends this game environment over the cliff. Well, you look at Todd Bowles' defense. What does he do? He wants to make teams march the field. He wants to play high rates of cover three. He wants to basically, um, uh, I guess, allocate additional assets to the box to make it difficult to run against them. So that kind of goes into the discussion of Alexander Madison that we just had. That kind of also goes into the discussion of who Justin Jefferson is. We look at his stats last season, 
He was a guy that was third in the league in targets per routes run against cover three. He was a guy that averaged 15.1 yards per reception against cover three. So the upside is very, very clearly there. On the flip side, we have Todd Bowles, who is probably, we know Baker Mayfield is this, we think we know who he is, but on we look at their coaching staff. They have Dave Canales coming over as offensive coordinator who comes over from working with Geno Smith in Seattle. And we, we can't just assume that he was the reason for Geno Smith's ninth year breakout, but he probably had a little bit of a hand in that, right? It's a very interesting and similar scenario when you look at now Dave Canales working with Baker Mayfield, this journeyman guy, this former top prospect, and now he is kind of being thrown into the fray as the starter on a new team. Um, that's a very, very interesting parallel, I think, this week. And when you think about, like, if Justin Jefferson is the piece that is sending this game environment kind of to the moon, we'll say, how is Tampa Bay going to respond to that? Are they going to continue to be this game-type manager-type offense? Probably not. And we look at now Brian Flores on the flip side. They go from Ed Donatel, who was this ultra-prevent defensive mm -hmm. coordinator. He wanted to keep everything in front of him. He was going to give up the slants. He was going to give up everything in front. Brian Flores is going to look to punch you in the face. He's going to bring the pressure. He's going to leave his corners in um, cover one man coverage. And he's going to do a lot of different things than we saw from this Vikings team last year. Now you look at the offensive pieces for Tampa. They have Mike Evans. They have Chris Godwin, two guys who have excelled in beating man coverage. And you consider kind of the hints that we got from Dave Canales during the off season where he said that they are going to be looking to generate mismatches and separation within the first five yards of the line of scrimmage, that plays interesting into the pieces that Tampa Bay has. So yeah, I love this game environment. I think that we're going to see the obligatory Justin Jefferson ownership, but beyond that, I, and I, we just released a clip of me saying that, that Tampa Bay has some very interesting pieces. And I oh. shouted, I shouted, uh, playing Baker Mayfield with Trey Palmer and Rashad White as an interesting way to leverage this game environment. What say you with that? I want to get your reaction to that. Yeah, yeah. I like the the Rashad White call because he's one of these guys we figured can't be scripted out, you know, giving his receiving profile. And then, you know, Baker has always been a guy that's he's he's thrown the checkdowns. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's one of the highest target rates to running backs, quarterbacks since he entered the league. So there's an opportunity there. And he's he's can kind of this that no man lands pricing where like a lot of people are just gonna play where he most are uh in, in in that that price range. So yeah. he may go overlooked, especially in a full PPR site like DraftKings. Um you you might we might have a run out where Rashad White has eight catches in this game, right? Like that that's well within the range of outcomes yeah. for him to have. Uh, so I love the Rashad White piece uh, and, and I, the Trey Palmer one. I love Trey Palmer as a prospect. It's going to be interesting to see how much 11 personnel we get right in this offense, uh, especially coming out of the box in his first start. That's a that's yeah. that's a real swing right there. I like that. Um, and the one actual good player the Vikings brought in was Byron Murphy, who's yeah, probably he plays play in the slot and who plays in the slot. So I, I think yeah. a lot of people are going to play Godwin, you know, and like you said. Uh, you're looking at Godwin's pricing and kind of where people think he fits with Baker. I think there's opportunity, but I also don't think Mike Evans should go overlooked either. Right. You know, obviously yep. there was disgruntlement, but he's, he's going to be here. He's gonna be on the field and the Vikings have some length at cornerback they can throw out. Um, 
a Caleb Evans is six foot two, you know, Joe Williams is six foot three, but like these guys aren't good. <laughs> yeah. And if they're going to be put on Island, they got some length to throw out Mike Evans, but Mike Evans is still Mike Evans. So I, I think there's opportunity here for a lot of, a lot of these Buccaneers pieces uh, to offer a lot of upside uh, to go along with, you know, Justin Jefferson. It's a way to get unique. You, cause you, you can eat the chalk and not that anyone's really going to be chalky on this slate. And you're going to, we're really avoiding chalk in week one. But that's yeah. just a super way to be unique and say, like, even if Justin Jefferson has 30 points and 20 percent of the field also has those 30 points, you're completely different with those 30 points. Yeah, 100 percent. I love that call. I, I we talked about Mike Evans early, early in the week. Uh, I think actually even lat, at the end of last weekend here at one week season as this piece that was going to likely go extremely overlooked. Um, yeah, it was last Friday on a show I did with J.M. Um, where we were talking about Mike Evans and I brought him up and JM was like, Oh, you know what? Like I've built almost 50 dummy builds and I haven't considered Mike Evans once. And I was like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's going to be the field. And he's what furthers that discussion is he's priced at 6,300, 200 below some of the top wide receiver range of outcomes, median projection plays on this slate in Chris Olave and Calvin Ridley who are each priced at 6,500. So that should even further, from a pricing psychology standpoint, suppress Mike Evans' expected ownership on the slate. So I love that call. Um, we're on a roll, man. Hit me with another place that you think that uh, you think might go overlooked for some hidden upside here. Uh, I mean, looking else in like that same like price range, uh, like I said, we're just looking for like these teams that have like moving parts, right? And trying to take advantage of that because fantasy gamers are really fickle bunch where they're like you have to show them something for them to yeah. start believing it it's, that's humans it's how, what's humans. that humans humans yeah. are like that that's just humans <laughs> so i'm looking at, at packers bears obviously too uh you know obviously we have jordan love what is jordan love what are, what are the packers going to be do they continue to be slow paced is it going to be run heavy we have all the changes with the chicago bears right you know i mean the bears were a team that historically were the the largest team below pass rate expectation since the data existed as far yeah. as you can go back the 22 chicago bears <laughs> were the most run heavy team that you can find given game script uh the, the, the Atlanta falcons wanted to challenge them last year i know the they were pushing no. the bears said no we got you <laughs> but when you look at the bears roster last year some of it made sense right like there was a stretch of the season where they were literally rolling out byron pringle uh, Aquinemus St. Brown uh, and the, the ghost of Enkeel Harry at wide receiver. Yeah. Like, wh- what, are, what do you want them to do? Like, in that situation, uh, you know, they 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 add, you know, Chase Claypool during the season last year. They're going to get a healthy Darnell Mooney back. They trade for DJ Moore. Um, they add Darnell Wright to the offensive line. Like, this is a this. They just have better offensive personnel than they had last year. Uh, they also signed. Um, I forget the guard for the, the Titans. His name is uh, eluding me off the top of my head, but they they, they added some pieces. Basically, I said this is a better offense. And last year, when they had that offense that we talked about, when Justin Field didn't take a sack on a drive, they were 12th in the NFL in scoring rate per drive already with like that that group of vagabonds. Yeah. So if Fields cleans up that aspect of his game, the the, the personnel's better. Like this was a team that already showed us they had explosiveness in their range of outcomes, and even outside of Justin Fields' runs. Uh, I think when you look at what they did last year in Luke Getze's first season, like they they could generate explosive plays in the past game. Um, There's there's upside here. Obviously, people know the outrange of outcomes for Justin Fields, but like DJ Moore is another one of those guys in that price range that we talked about with Mike Evans. That like 
people have been burned so many times by DJ Moore that like he's just a guy yeah. people don't like to play uh, inherently. We also have like this Khalil Herbert play that's kind of a wild card. No one really knows. I don't think Khalil Herbert's like really going to be played at all this weekend. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, like I said, we talk about the Jordan Love factor. Uh, there's upside here for Aaron Jones. We've got some injury news like throughout the week. We're waiting to see Friday injury reports of Christian Watson plays. Like what receivers do we get on the field? And then we kind of have probably one of the chalkier plays in the slate in Luke Musgrave. We kind of talk about if he's good chalk or bad chalk as well because he's going to be really popularly uh, owned because of just his, his price in the tight end landscape. Yeah, exactly. You talk about Luke Musgrave and the uncertainty and the furthering of that uncertainty is this is an afternoon game is we're not going to likely get, and we've already heard the coaching staff in Green Bay say that we're, we're likely going to take this down to the wire as far as uh, Dobbs and um, and Christian Watson go. So we might not get information on this situation until the right before, you know, an hour and a half before kickoff, which is we're already into the slate. Um, so that's a very interesting dynamic as well. Talk about Luke Musgrave. That's probably going to inflate his ownership at only 2,900. But an interesting pieces of this offense, I think. And let's talk about let's talk about building leverage uh, real quick from a game environment like this with so much uncertainty. If we know that the field is highly likely to be looking to a cheap piece who's expected to be an every down contributor in Luke Musgrave, twenty nine hundred. Where is the likeliest pivot from the field? From that, it's probably Jaden Reed. And with the uncertainty of the other two wide receivers here, if we see that it's kind of this, this idea of first level theoretics, I like to um, describe it like that. How do I get different from the field? The first answer is probably going to be Jaden Reed. But if we go beyond that into level two, level three theory, which is now we're thinking about what the field is thinking about and how do we leverage off of that? A very interesting piece, a very interesting name that you brought up is Aaron Jones. If they have all these injuries at pass catcher, should we expect Aaron Jones to maybe see a little bit different utilization? 100%. And on the flip side of that, nobody likes to play two running backs from the same game environment. So immediately I'm like drawn to this Aaron Jones, Khalil Herbert kind of mini correlation here. Both are capable of catching passes. Obviously Aaron Jones much more so, um, but you, you see kind of what this Joe Barry defense is and they kind of are just this high zone defense. They're going to play off. And that opens up kind of the middle of the field for a guy like Khalil Herbert, who has been ultra efficient, obviously on a small sample size. But in all the ambiguity kind of associated with that Chicago backfield, it's like we don't really know who Khalil Herbert is going to be for the Bears this year. We kind of have an idea that he's going to be the primary early down grinder with Roshan Johnson mixing in and then Deontay Foreman kind of being this change of pace guy. But it's like, what if Khalil Herbert gets on a roll? What if they just ride him? And that's kind of the uncertainty that we're talking about. That's a high upside situation, I think, to monitor for this week. Um, any other thoughts on that game environment? Yeah, I think it, in general, too. So, like, you know, the one thing I'll say, like, and I'll, I'll never, like, if you've got a $2,900 tight end that's going to be on the field, you know, full time, and you, he ran the most pass routes when Jordan Love was in the game in the preseason, they kind of gave us an inkling that he's going to be out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can't push back on that, right? Like, I can't push back on that just being like, hey, I understand why he's going to have the roster ship. He probably will. I will say that the Bears where they spent their money this offseason bringing in Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards like I do think they're going to be a lot better team defending the tight end position yeah uh, inherently so 
you know, there you immediately have like your, your one carrot that's kind of say like, Oh, if the field's going to play this guy this heavily and they haven't accounted for Tremaine Edwards and TJ Edwards, like what if those who, who also were the third and, and, and eighth highest graded pass coverage linebackers last year in the NFL. Yeah. Like if the field's not accounting for that, that's immediate leverage you can gain. And like you said, it could be through Jaden Reed. It could just be from playing the other tight end in this game, right? Like Cole Komet is probably going to go overlooked and he's the guy that just carries touchdown equity but also, I mean, he was a guy that was highly, highly targeted. It just never translated. Uh, he was highly targeted on it a per route basis, but it never translated because the Bears don't run a lot of routes. Yeah. So, what, what if? But what if the Bears do just increase their 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 route participation? Right. What if they do play more uh, more tempo and stuff? Like then Cole Komet gets more routes. Like then that stuff gets illuminated. The efficiency stuff gets more illumination. So he's a guy too that I think just inherently has some upside in this game that you can look at. I mean, there's just a lot of ways to play this game. I think you can stack it both ways. I think you can stack it from a Jordan Love stance. I think you can stack it from a uh, Justin Fields stance. I think there's a lot of minis. If you just want to play DJ Moore and Aaron Jones, I think it's a great mini. Uh, I think yeah. it's just a, a great a great inherent mini you can play that fits a lot of builds where you don't even onslaught this game. And then if Christian Watson ends up missing this game, I mean, you've just got another element in this game to deal with. So there's a lot of moving parts in this game. That's why I like it, right? Like, that's why I like it. Yeah. As, and, and the guys are really cheap in this game. Yeah, you can play around with a lot of different things uh, from this game environment for sure. Um, I'm going to throw a game environment out to you and I'm going to give you my thoughts yeah, on it. And then I want to hear I want to hear how you react to this. So there's a game uh, with a fairly healthy total. It's got a game total right now of 46 and a half. So just kind of under our our range where we're really considering, hey, this this game environment has a ton of upside. And we'll save the discussion about the betting market um, and the the game total break off of 47 points uh, for another day. But this game environment has a game total of 46 and a half points currently. It's got a spread of under a touchdown at five points with a road favorite. And that is the Jaguars and the Colts. And although this game is not going to go entirely overlooked, we have one of those extremely positive range of outcomes per price players uh, in Calvin Ridley. He's going to have some ownership on the slate. But outside of that, we don't really see a lot of ownership coming from this place. An interesting thing when I'm looking through and, and breaking down games and identifying these game environments that I like to really hammer down on is coaching tendencies. And when you look at Doug Peterson, and especially what he showed us last year, is typically his aggression was more in line with the game environment that he was playing in, mm -hmm. as in we know that the the Jaguars had the 12th highest pass rate over expectation. But once you get out of the top 10, it was it was very flat. There was a lot of teams that were real close to each other. So it was around league average in pass rate over expectation. But when you look at the actual pass attempts and compare that to the game environment that the team was playing in, it was very evident that they had to kind of be pushed to really open up that offense. So in my mind, immediately, I'm thinking, well, how do they get pushed? How do they get pushed in this spot? And it probably revolves around Anthony Richardson, this athletic specimen quarterback. Does he break off a 60-yard run? Does he hit a guy like uh, Michael Pierce, who's running deep? Um, not Michael Pierce. What the heck is his name? Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce. Thank you. Michael Pierce is a nose tackle. <laughs> Uh, in Baltimore. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So Alec Pierce, we know kind of we got a glimpse of what we expect from this offense in the preseason. 
Michael Pittman is going to be the target hog. He saw almost 40% tar team target market share. Alec Pierce saw almost 40% of the team's air yards with the starters in the preseason. So it's like, is the is a long bomb to Alec Pierce how this game environment opens up? Is it a long run from Anthony Richardson? There are multiple paths here from the Colts to really open up this game environment. And I think an interesting way to gain access to the upside that the Jaguars have is through the Colts this week. Your turn. Rebuttal. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, I think that this game has a, a couple outcomes the way you can play it. Uh, for one is you play the angle of the Colts actually surprising, right? Uh, you know, Anthony Richardson playing better because uh, he's going to be this guy that has, you know, from, on a probably a play-to-play -play basis, a lot of highs and lows. Uh, we kind of saw that a little bit, a glimpse in the preseason. But we know they're also going to play with tempo, which could be good and bad, right? Like yeah. if if the, the Colts open up with tempo and they have – and Anthony Richardson doesn't play well and they just keep giving the ball back to the Jaguars and game script flips – then I, because one of my favorite plays of the week, I think is, is Travis Etienne and the way to play this game. Cause I think obviously I think ownership is going to, like you said, we we're peaking ahead, but we're not locking anything in until really like Saturday to get like a real idea where the landscape is. But the way I have heard other people on shows and everyone talk about like ever Calvin Ridley's trending up, Trevor Lawrence trending up. Yeah. Um, so how do I get away from that? Easily the guy that, that stands out to me is Travis Etienne because even in this matchup last year in two games and the, and the Jaguars lost one of these games to the Colts last year, uh, the Jaguars dropped back the pass on only five, 45.2% of their pass plays last season. It was their lowest rate versus any team last year. It was the second lowest rate any team threw against the Colts as well. Only the Titans were lower. Bringing in Shane Steichen, the one thing Shane Steichen didn't want to deal with in year one as an NFL head coach was bring in a new defensive coordinator. They retained Gus Bradley. Mm -hmm. Gus Bradley, we know, captain of the cover three, captain of the zone, all those things. He, he threw zone coverage at Trevor Lawrence 80% of the time. Uh, you know, the, they didn't Trevor Lawrence, in those games only threw for five and a half air yards. It's because everyone talks about like, well, he only threw seven incompletions against in these two games against the Colts. Well, it's like, yeah, yeah he only threw about five yards downfield every play. Yeah. 60% uh, of those plays were against cover three. It was the highest rate cover three. The Colts played against anybody. We know they're going to play a lot of zone in this one anyways, outside of Gus Bradley, because they don't have any experience at cornerback. Yes. Uh, at all. <laughs> so they're going to play a lot of zone. So if you get a game where the game script flips and the Colts get themselves a negative game script and the Jaguars are facing a lot of zone, like to me, I just want to play Travis Etienne. And then also you have the Tank Bigsby factor where people have had this fear of Tank Bigsby all offseason embedded in their brains. Yep. But the preseason didn't really show us that. It still showed us Travis Etienne when Trevor Lawrence in the game. And granted, it's a very small sample. But, mm -hmm. you know, when Trevor Lawrence was in the game this preseason, it was still Travis Etienne on all the on all the plays, even though we can't count on any receptions. But to me, and then you talk about the price range where Travis Etienne is, he's in this great price range where he's expensive enough where people don't want to pay up that far. And then, but they'll just go up to a higher price running back is what I mean. And then he's, they'll just go down to a lower price running back. So he's in this purgatory of pricing to where it's going to deflate probably his ownership as well. But we also know he's just a really like hyper uh, explosive player anyways. So you're getting yeah. outs, even if the game script doesn't go, th go that way, you're getting leverage on Trevor Lawrence. You're getting uh, leverage on the, the field. If this game goes like an inverse fashion and it's Jaguars flood them. Um, but that's where he's the first piece of this game. When I look to that stands out to me. I really like that call. And you, you talked about the hyper efficiency of Travis Etienne. He had the fifth most breakaway runs a season ago. He had the 12th highest breakaway run rate at 7.3%.
His yards per touch was healthy, 5.7, 10th in the league. So, yeah, this is a guy that can doesn't necessarily need 24 opportunities to become this GPP viable play. But he is a guy that definite. And the way that I like to think about running backs in today's NFL is there are so few true workhorse guys. We're beyond the days of like team jam them in with David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. Like those days are gone. So what do I look? And there's there's like the CMCs, but even CMC is he's got competition. And we know that if there's healthy bodies behind him, he's likely going to be this around 65% snap rate player. So those days are kind of long gone. So what are we looking for for upside at the running back position? Well, getting raw points at the end of the day is what matters in DFS. Like we're not looking to get like salary multipliers. And I think this is a, a theoretical component of where the field is at right now, where they're looking like we're kind of viewing running back through this lens of, I just want to get a good salary multiplier and move on. And I want to do that as cheaply as possible because there's higher certainty from wide receivers. I'm more comfortable paying up at quarterback. So when you like think about what's important at the end of the day, it's scoring points. So how does a 60% snap rate running back score a lot of points in today's game? We need a hundred yard bonus on DraftKings. So we need a guy who can break a hundred yards and we need a guy who has a path to multiple touchdowns. So if a running back is breaking a hundred yards on the ground and getting multiple touchdowns, you're at this 27 point range. And that's kind of what we're looking for, for GPP upside at the position that can come from anybody, any player price range, because once first kick happens, we are beyond this idea of salary mattering. We now need raw points. And so if we flip how we look at the position and really bear down on what's important to us, which is again, raw points, we're looking for running backs who have that within their range of outcomes. And Travis Etienne is a very interesting name in week one that has 102 within his range of outcomes. Now, it's good to have access to three catches for 30 yards because what does that do on a full PPR site? It removes the need for one of those touchdowns, but it's still highly important to be able to reach that 100-yard threshold and find the end zone. So I love that shout. Yeah, and you took a look, look at this price range, you know, even going up, even if people want to pay in that price range, I think you're just going to see more people go to like the Browns-Bengals game total and play Joe Mixon. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Madison in that same price range. People probably play him. And then the other guy that I think is going to continue to get steamed throughout the week is JK Dobbins, just 10 point home favorites against the Texans, yeah. who was a team that we uh, highlighted, but that only helps us out because those guys are all going to pull away from just Travis Etienne going probably more overlooked than those guys. Yeah, hundred percent. So I'm going to throw it back to you. I want to hear one more game environment that you're kind of looking for this week. I do want to uh, one one more guy to touch on that you did uh, yeah. just to piggyback on the Alec Pierce thing because if the game even does go that way and like you we're just dealing with like a volatile Colts offense right on a play to play basis or a drive to drive mm -hmm. basis like they have some highs they have some lows but they're still probably going to score points in the game so like even if they score fourteen points seventeen points whatever um, one of the things that I think is really going to help Alec Pierce this year and he's going to be kind of one of these random guys when you're getting stacks around the Colts uh, is that because of Anthony Richardson's rushing impact. Teams are going to have to call different defensive game plans around that. And he's going to get a lot of shot plays because the, yeah. the Colts are going to be one of these teams that actually does face a lot of single high safety stuff. And, you know, you talked about the air yards for him. So he's just going to have an opportunity, I think, at least two to three times per game, whether they are completed or not. Because the one 
aspect of Anthony Richards game that is really strong is his deep ball. His vertical yeah. ball is really good. So like Alec Pierce, I love him from like a stance of like best ball. He was one of my favorite, like best ball picks. And he's going to be one of these guys on a weekly stacking basis. Now in a season long, good luck, like trying to yeah. figure out when it's going to hit. But uh, I love that because defensively they're just, the Colts are going to be one of those teams that just see a lot of single high. Yeah. I love that shout a good bit. I'm going to transition us real quick to talk about what you have going on over at the worksheet at uh, Sharp Football Analysis. Tell me what to expect or what the listeners can expect uh, from you over there this season. Yeah, just a lot of this where I'm going kind of, you know, game by game breakdowns. I, you know, this is my, I want to, this is my ninth year doing this article. I did it for, you know, NBC. Evan brought it, Evan brought it over there when we were all at, at Roto World and kind yeah. of an extension of man- matchups where, I'm looking at like from everything from like a betting total, a player basis from a DFS perspective, just kind of all of it together um, and just kind of walking through the games. And it, it's an early look. It comes out on, it starts coming out on Tuesday every week. Uh, I take pride that it, it comes out early in the week because I kind of yeah. want to have my thoughts out there first before they're impacted by other, you know, conversation. Cause I do watch and listen to other things throughout the week. I like listening to smart people talk about things uh, that aren't myself or, or in case I miss something as well. You know, it's, it's yeah. easy, you know, to kind of get, uh, your own process going and when you have your own process going and you and repetition comes you almost sometimes get blockers to other things so i love to try to get more information that i can but uh, i do take pride that it does come out earlier in the week and then we kind of adjust for there but it is just a, a full-on if you like the things that i'm saying here that's all stuff that's in the worksheet yeah so that's awesome now listeners you got two places to go and zero excuses to not check these out one week season, check out the edge write-ups, uh, break down every single game. And you got Rich's work over here at Sharp Football Analysis, where he is also breaking down every single game. So no excuses. Head on over to both those places and check these out because there is a plethora of information here from both Rich, myself, and the other contributors at both of those sites. Uh, all right, we're going to go to one last game environment. I think that's going to take us to about an hour. So give me one last spot where you think there might be some hidden potential here. Yeah. Um, do you want to do, let's see, oh, do you want to do something? I think a lot of people are going to get the Tennessee New Orleans at some point just to play because I think the people like the individual pieces there. But yeah, how about one that probably has good teams, but in good defenses? Well, how about a defensive a people? How about a game people think is going to be defensive, but has good offensive players? And how about 49ers Steelers? Yep. Yeah. I mean, because this is this is a game filled with really good offensive pieces that aren't going to be played this week. Because yeah. of the respect of the 49ers defense, the Steelers, obviously their defensive stats don't show a lot last year, but we know their splits when TJ Watt was available. Uh, they've made uh, a lot of significant ads to defensively this offseason. We, we believe, at least I believe they're going to be a good defense this year. But that doesn't 100%. mean that these teams can score points, right? We've got a West Coast team going to the East Coast. Granted, it's week one. Uh, it's not like it's in the middle of the season where it, it makes like this huge impact, but it does exist. There's travel here involved. Uh, we've got kind of the the Brock Purdy small game sample last year. We have the Shanahan factor. We've got George Kittle coming in injured. We have the what the Steelers looked like offensively this preseason, which was very positive. Uh, granted, yeah. it's preseason small Shocking. sample stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, we have all these elements in play where, like, yeah, you may not get to these a lot of these pieces for cash games, but this, this game looks like it's going to be really overlooked in terms of, like, projected ownership. Yeah, and that's an interesting aspect, too, is we still have some uncertainty as far as the personnel go in this game as well. Primarily George Kittle, um, who's coming off some missed practices and some limited sessions. So 
Um, look at obviously the easy one is Debo Samuel splits with and without George Kittle, um, how his utilization shifts. We can probably expect a little bit more usage out of CMC through the air as well. Uh, so yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. And we think about the theoretics of what a strength on strength matchup really means. And we look at historical analysis of those strength on strength matchups. What that really does is it just provides a wide range of outcomes. You have two good offenses or offenses who are expected to be good here, uh, primarily the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, facing off against two good defenses. You just are, it's inherently a wide range of outcomes scenario. You could see this slugfest clunker where it's a 17 to 13 type game. You could also see because of the explosive pieces that are on each offense, you could also see a game environment that develops into this 31 to 28 type relative shootout. So, um, the fact that there's this wide range of outcomes, typically we're looking to ownership when that is the case. If it's a high ownership expectation in a wide range of outcomes, typically the expected value is in shying away from that situation. We kind of have the flip side of this where it's a wide range of outcomes, but we have little expected um, ownership on this situation. So that is a place where the exact opposite is true, where we can go get a slight boost to expected value uh, from targeting those games. If you are targeting this game environment, are you looking to go more or less all in where you're building an entire game stack? Or are you looking to maybe develop some mini correlations out of it? Yeah, this is one where I would look at with the with the amount of ceiling because this is like we take the 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 hidden ceiling in a different direction, right? We've been talking about some cheaper price plays or some uh, ambiguous spots, but like we're talking about players we know inherently have high ceilings, yeah. right? At least on the we're talking about the Debo Samuels, the Christian McCaffrey's of the world. Uh, you know, we can definitely maybe uh, you know pick that apart a little bit on the Steeler side, but you know, I'm looking at from the stance if you get this game right where like even the field is only nitpicking at maybe CMC because it's just CMC and like people yeah. play him. Um, but if you get this game right and you do get that wide range of outcomes in these in these small field onslaught environments, like this is a game where you're going to smoke the field. And if you don't, you pick up the pieces and you you're, we're, we're picking out. We're on to week two, right? We're we rebuild. Yeah, <laughs> we rebuild. But like I look at because I, I look at like the structure of this game and I look at how Brock Purdy and I think about his elbow injury and I think about the Steelers defense. And to me, I inherently like I'm like, all right, this, the ball is coming out hot this game. And it, and it usually does with the 49ers anyways. It's the goal of the yeah. offense. Get the point guard. You know, get, they want John Stockton to get the ball to the playmakers, you know. And I feel like it's going to be on even higher alert this week because the two areas where the 49ers have question marks, one is the offensive line. And then mm -hmm. second, we'll talk down the other half as a defensive inefficiency. But when you think about the Steelers pass rush versus this 49ers defensive line, I think CMC and Debo are just going to get a lot. And Debo Samuel is one of these guys where literally you have a wide range of outcomes because he gets rushing carries too. Like he could be involved yeah. in the running game in the goal line. So there he, he's also got to catch a five yard pass and he's going 65 yards and his salary's made in one play like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think the, he's going to have just a really high target share anyways. And he already did with Brock Purdy last year when everyone was available. Yeah. When he was on the field with Brock Purdy last year. He had 28% of the team targets was targeted on 26% uh, of his routes. So high rates of usage we're getting, I think it's only going to be increased because of the matchup. So I love getting, you know, Debo, you can pair him with CMC. And if you want to play Purdy, you can. I do think that the Steelers passing game does represent a little bit of upside here as well. Because the 49ers are so good defensively against the run, their inherent pass funnel, they add Javon Hargrave to this run defense uh, on, on top of it. 
One yeah. of my favorite one of my favorite stats from last year is the only running back to have to have 100 yards of scrimmage against the 49ers is on their team in Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, uh, no, no one else <laughs> did it. Um, so if but there are one if a deficiency is cornerbacks and vertical passes and they were bad against the vertical pass game last year. We saw some real wild cards take advantage of them. Do you remember Jarrett Stidham at the end of last year? Like, yeah. Took real advantage of them. And, you know, I think Kenny Pickett, if they roll over the way they attack defenses in the preseason, that gives the wide receivers here a chance to really make plays. Your George Pickens, your Deontay Johnsons of the world. So you can bring those guys back. And it's like you're running the, the correlation anyways because CMC is a running back throwing with these wide receivers. But you're also with the 49ers getting kind of their running back and wide receivers together. Debo yeah. and Christian McCaffrey, and then the wide receivers, the Steelers. Uh, it's kind of a unique element where you are getting that correlation between both. Yeah, and we talked about pricing psychology earlier as well. And this is another instance where we shouldn't expect an exorbitant amount of ownership to settle on Debo Samuel because he's kind of in this middling range of player pricing. Um, I'll throw it back to you because I'm interested in, in your thoughts. If you are attacking this game environment, are you at all interested in either of the quarterbacks? Yeah, I think so. I think you can be. They both offer a little bit of mobility, right? Like that's uh, that's like kind of not really price things. They're not like true like Konami code, like throwback guys, like the odds that we run into, uh, you know, someone running for 50 plus yards is thin. But with the, we think like pass rush, it could open up in a tr uh, some scramble ability. So I think that, you, I think you can go both ways. I think there are ways to inversely stack this. My favorite way to approach, I think would be Pickett doubles with Pickett, Deontay Pickens. And then you play both McCaffrey and Debo together would be my preferred way. But I, I don't think that removes Purdy from the board though. Yeah. And these are for me looking at these two quarterbacks um, and how we would expect them um, to succeed in the broader sense of what the slate is providing us at the quarterback position. If this slate were, um, and again, this is kind of just in the theoretical realm. If this slate had did not have like four of the top five expected quarterbacks on the year um if this slate well i guess Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are not on the slate um so maybe that's a little bit off but you look at the overall state of the quarterback position on this slate and we've got some top producers obviously Lamar Jackson Jalen Hurts Justin Fields Joe Burrow Herbert and Tua are probably and maybe even lumping Lamar Jackson in there these are guys that were all being drafted in the top seven rounds of best ball so these are the guys where we expect this elite range of outcomes. If we had a slate where there were maybe four of these names on it instead of like seven of the top nine, I would be a little bit more inclined to be looking down towards these lower priced um, quarterbacks. And also within the overall um, state of the slate as far as salary, clearly in week one, we have a little bit softer pricing. I mean, you look at pretty much across the board I and mean, Christian McCaffrey is cheaper than he was at all, any point last year. Um, and it's a similar it's a discussion kind of across the board as far as salary goes. So that gives you a little bit more maneuverability to be paying up at certain positions. And I think where the field is likely to do that are quarterback and uh, wide receiver. So that kind of introduces some competing some a catch 22 situation in the sense that we do have a lot of elite talent at quarterback on the slate, but the field is going to be highly interested in that elite talent at the quarterback position. So when you look at like composite ownership of the top seven or so in player pricing at the quarterback position, you're probably going to get a fairly significant chunk of the field that is going to be allocating salary that way. So 
in a vacuum, I would not be interested in some of these pay down options. But you've already heard both Rich and I bring up multiple pay down guys. And that's kind of introduced through the theoretical components where it's going against the grain, trying to allocate salary differently than the field. And that just in a, in a, in a vacuum shifts your overall construction of your build away from where we kind of expect the field to be going. So any closing remarks on kind of that mindset? No, I, I think that that's, that's great. That's the the game theory side. I think a lot of people are looking for. It's also a mental hurdle people have when setting lineups, right? You know, you want to play the best plays. You want to play the the plays we've talked about on all the shows all week. It's it's hard for people to not want to do that, especially it, it, it and you know, audience too. Like, you know, are you someone that's playing, you know, $100 a week in DFS? Are you someone playing, uh, you know, thousands of dollars? There's like a wide range of DFS player. That's, that's what makes it fun. Like DFS is the game you want it to be. And that's why I'm drawn to it. You know, um, a lot of people like have like a, a different opinion of DFS because it's like it's, it's a wide range, but it, it it opens up everybody. Every type of gamer can play DFS and it's what you yeah. want out of it. And the what you're what you want out of it is how's your has how you're going to approach playing it and setting lineups. You know, if you're someone that is in here just to like have a little bit of, of skin in the game, maybe try to get to double up, just make a little bit of money off of it. Something, you know, you're going to be more of that, like Genoe, Joey Kanish rounders type of player. Yeah. You're going to play more cash. You're going to play more 50, 50 stuff. And you're going to say tight to the board, right? You're going to be playing the best plays of the week. Um, trying to count on your, what your, your four V fours after the chalk is like all set out um, and, and just get your small edges that way. And, and that's completely fine, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's, that's not wrong. If that's what you're in for, if you're someone, like I said, like from my angle, I'm literally prepared. I'm, I entered DFS where I was like, I might lose 13 or 14 of the weeks. But I'm gonna bank on those four weeks. You're like really making my season where I win, and that's kind of like the, where I've settled over the years. I've I've manifested from that cash game player to that, you know, like then looking to hit like large field stuff, and then now I've come into the the thing where I'm just like really trying to get like these games right. And if I get the game right, and, and you don't have to get the best thing about it is you don't have to get all 18 right. Like that's yeah. the best thing about it. And that's the way I kind of just like em embrace it. But it, that it gets out of your comfort zone though, setting lineups that way. Right. Like, you know, you're, you're playing uncomfortable plays. You're, 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 cause you're willing to lose. And, um, but that's the beauty of DFS. And I, hopefully we have listeners on this show that uh, cover all scopes and they want kind yeah. of a little bit of it all, but uh, we're definitely looking for that, that gamer from like a, a hunting for ceiling upside that, that that gamer that's looking to be willing to get a little uncomfortable with us. Yes, sir. Rich, we're going to get on great, get along great this year, man. We literally at one week season have a, a, a weekly article that is entitled willing to lose. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to, we're going to get along great, man. Um, that is going to do it for us for today. This is week one and we're going to be back here every single Friday. Again, if you're looking for more of Rich, head on over to Sharp Football Analysis. If you're looking for more of me and the rest of the OWS crew, head on over to oneweekseason.com. Rich, any closing remarks or parting shots that you want to get out here before we get out of here? I am just really happy that we made it to this point. Obviously it's week one. Uh, like who even knows if we can call it variance in week one, right? Like it's, it's just setting a new foundation. It's, it's the, it's trying to figure out what this season is because every NFL season is, is so unique. So I'm excited to see some of these things kick off and see where the field takes what happened in week one and where they run and say, this is an absolute truth. And what is isn't? Uh, that's always this week two will be fun on this show because we'll yeah. be talking, incorporating some things we actually seen and saying, well, that was, that was BS or like, we're not buying that. And 
all of those elements. So I'm just excited. I hope everyone has a great week one. I hope everyone hits those cash lines if they're playing cash lines. I hope someone takes something down really big and lets us know about it. With that, we will see you in the lobbies and we will see you at the top of the leaderboards. We'll see you, fam. One week season.